You know, I'm sure when you hear uh, the word the 12, you, uh, you think about the, uh, the, the 12 apostles, the disciples. And, uh, but we're going to uh, start on a new journey here over the next few months. And we're going to be talking about the, uh, the minor prophets, of which there are 12. And uh, maybe you didn't know this, but uh, if you study uh, this and you look, in the old Hebrew Bible, uh, the minor prophets was one book. And it was called the 12. And it was 12 chapters, uh, each chapter for a, for a different uh, of the, uh, of the uh, um, prophets. And uh, minor in the sense that they're, they're small. I don't know if you know that or not, but that's, that's what the minor prophets are. They're short books. Uh, some of them are just, a, you know, just real short. And others, like the one today with Hosea, it's a little bit longer, but still very minor uh, in in scope, but um, you know, I when I was uh, when I was in uh, college, uh, I, I was taught that um, that being a pastor and preaching uh, every week um, is somewhat prophetic. You know that you you have this this ministry of um, of proclaiming as prophets did uh, God's word and what God's desire was for His people. And, and I was told that we should never, never take that for granted. And I, you know, I want to tell you that after, you know, after a lot of years and even decades, I, I, I love being a preacher. I love being a pastor. I love being your pastor. And it's just really energetic to me to, uh, to study these, these books. And, and over the next number of weeks, you're going, to, uh, you're going to see this over and over and over again as we study these 12 prophets uh, together. Let's jump right in. We actually mentioned uh, Hosea, the prophet Hosea, a few weeks ago in one of our Christmas sermons. And today what I would like to do is to go back and, and look at the big idea about the prophet uh, Hosea and what he had had to say. Because see, here's the thing. A lot of people can't get by his wife's name. Okay, let's just throw it out there. You know, Gomer. Most of the people my age, when you think of Gomer, who do you think about? Gomer Pyle, that's right. Oh my gosh, aren't we sad that that's where our mind goes right away with this name? You know, I don't know if you know it or not, Arlene's maiden name is Beach, B-E-A-C-H. She has an Uncle Sandy Beach. She has an Aunt Virginia Beach. You know, there's all these in her family. I told her dad one time he should have named her Daytona. Sometimes we can't get beyond those kind of simple details about a story. Um, but there is so much here. And regardless of, of, of when we think about that this was written centuries before Jesus came, the subject matter of the book of Hosea is so important to me and to you. Because here's the thing. Even though the book is about the marital tragedy of Hosea and his wife and his children, he came to understand through that marital tragedy the steadfast, faithful, unconditional love of God. So I want us today, as we talk about this a little bit, to really, to really focus on that rather than the shocking details at the beginning of the book. 
For example, if you read uh, chapter 1 and verse number 2, I have it for you here. It says that when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to God. You know, most of the time when I read and share um, uh, Bible references, I do it from a, from a newer translation. But I think at this, in this juncture, the King James Version uh, even drives this point home a little more when it says that the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, and the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. You see, while, while the book of Hosea paints this, this incredibly tragic picture of the marriage and of the family and of the children and of the offspring of Hosea, and how God directed him to take Gomer as his wife. God directed him to name his children as he did. And God directed him that even after he took her as his wife, that she then continued in the promiscuous lifestyle, the life of, of, of whoredom. Isn't that a tough word to even say? But through it all, God said to her, go back. God said to him, go back. Forgive her. Love her. Take her back into your family, back into your home, back into your life as your wife and as your children's mother. But the interesting thing about it is, it's all a great big story, a great big parable about the people of God and how we so many times we do that exact same thing we're unfaithful we're promiscuous if you will in our relationship with uh, with the one true God we turn our back on him we walk away from him we bring disgrace and dishonor on his name and through it all what does God say Come back. What does God say? Come home. Some years ago, I was helping a friend overcome an adulterous affair in his home. And I found a book that I read and I actually uh, 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 gave it to him. And the book talked about the offended spouse and the offender. And the interesting thing in that book, it said that we should never expect the offended spouse. Now, now think about this, because this is what's going on with, uh, with Gomer and with, with Hosea. Hosea was not the offending spouse. He was, he was loving her and caring for her and doing just as God wanted him to do. But she was the offending spouse. And this book taught me that where, where the offending spouse thinks, you know what, I can be forgiven and let's go on from here. The spouse that, the, the spouse that was offended 
it takes a long time to get over that. Can you imagine what God is asking of Hosea here? He's asking him to move forward, to go forward, to go on, to recognize that his love for his wife should be the same kind of love that God has for his disobedient, dishonoring, sinful children and nation. But sometimes that is so, so difficult to do. Let me show you something here. There, there is a word in this, um, in this passage and really throughout the entirety of the book. If you read Hosea 2, verse 19, Hosea 4, verse 1, Hosea 6, verse 4, verse 6, Hosea 10, verse 12, Hosea 12, verse 6. In these 12 chapters of this, of this prophet, this, this word is used over and over and over again to describe not only God's love, God's faithfulness, God's forgiveness, God's mercy, But it's also a word that's used to describe the very thing that God is asking of Hosea to his wife. The Greek, the the Hebrew word here is the word uh, hesed. Spelled C-H-E-S-E-D. I asked somebody this morning, I said, how do you pronounce this word? And they said, cheesed. I said, no, no, it's not cheesed. It's a Hebrew word. It's the word hesed. And it's translated a lot of different ways throughout this book. All those references that I just read to you, Hosea 2 and 4 and 6 and 10 and 12, they're listed in your, in your bulletin there if you want those. But all of these verses have to do with, with God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness. This is, a, this is a tremendous word, just like our word love in the English language. It's a deep word if you really get into it. Isn't it amazing that I can use the word love to describe how I feel about my wife and about my dog or about Tom and Joe's on Saturday morning? (laughs) You see, the Hebrews, they had four different words to describe how deep and how beautiful and how meaningful love is. They had a word uh, that talked about brotherly love between people. They had a different word that talked about the sexual love between a husband and a wife. They had a different word about the love between uh, family members. And then they had this beautiful word called agape. Agape that talks about God's unconditional love. And when God asks us to love, he asks us to love like that, like he loved unconditionally. You ever notice how how most people, when they talk about love, it's, you know what, I love you. I love you if, right? I love you because. I love you in spite of. I love you as long as. No, God's love is agape love. It's unconditional. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, I really want us to come to understand, and I encourage you to read this entire book sometime this week and just see how it is dripping with Hesed. Love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and honor. 
And as we are here today and as we think about this, think about, think about what, what this word is. What is it? And also in the same uh, uh, context, what it's not. You see, because a lot of times we use words like this, love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and steadfastness, all of these things that Hesed describes from the very heart and the soul of God to us. We describe things like that uh, from the realm of what people deserve. Because see, here's the thing about it. Gomer deserved none of it. She was unfaithful. She was promiscuous. She was sinful. In spite of of Hosea's dedication to her and love for her and his forgiveness to her, she, she could not walk away from this life of adultery and adultery and adultery, and sin. And God was saying to Hosea, regardless of, of her sin, I want, to show, I want you to show her hesed. I want you to show her love, and grace, and mercy, and kindness, and forgiveness. You know, I think, I think hesed is a lot easier to describe what it is because we see all of these words that are used here describing what what this Greek word is all about. But I think it's more difficult to describe what what it's not. Because so often our our response of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness is always is always in response to our understanding that a person deserves it. But you see, God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, God's steadfastfulness, His nature, it has nothing to do. You know, it's kind of like the story in the New Testament of the prodigal. I don't know about you, but when I read the prodigal son and I read about what he did and what he asked for and what the father gave him, even though he didn't have to, what he went and did with his life in the far country and how he squandered it and he lost it and it all, uh, it all went away. And then how the Bible says that he finally came to his senses and he thought, you know what, I don't deserve to be my father's son, but my father's servants have it better than I. I don't know about you, but I always jump in at that point and I interject. You're exactly right, young man. You don't deserve any of that. But you see, here's the thing. When, he, when it says he came to his senses and he, and he started home, he saw his father longing and waiting for him before he ever got to the house. Why? Because the father's love was not dependent on his understanding of how wrong he was. You know, folks, when we come and we realize that and come to understand that in our relationship with God, then we we truly begin to understand what what this chesed is all about. Because, you know, what it is, is it's unconditional love from God. And what it's not, is that it's not dependent on any anything in your life 
and mine. Now, let me tell you something, though. God desires obedience. You see, that's what's, that's what's beautiful about this story. He says to Hosea, love her regardless, love her in spite of, love her unconditionally. But his desire for her was to be free of this kind of life and sin and to enjoy, to enjoy what this relationship of unconditional love between two people, what it can bring, what it can be, what God desires for it to be. You see, because you can look at this story and, and you can look at it from the perspective of, of the prophet Hosea and what God is calling him to do, or you can look at it from the perspective of his wife. You know, it's even hard to even say her name, Gomer. But you can, you can look at it that way and you can see what he, what he wants for her and what his great love desires for her. I mean, how many times have you ever been in a, in a state of disobedience and you know that God wants you to become obedient? He wants you to repent. He wants you to come back. And for whatever reason, you, you just, you just can't, can't fathom you know, I can't tell you how many times over the years that people have said to me, God can't love me. I'm so unlovable. If you knew what was in my heart, if you knew what was in my character, if you knew the things that I did, the things that I said, the things that I fought, the sins that I've committed, that you would understand God would never look at me with grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. But that is the beauty and the mystery of Hesed. God's faithfulness, God's forgiveness, God's mercy, God's steadfast nature of how He loves us in spite of and regardless of our sins. You see, folks, here's, here's, here's the thing. When you come to this place in your life, what in the world do you do with it? You know, I, I couldn't help but read this, uh, this book, and you'll, you'll see it as you go through it. I, I, I guess maybe just being a pastor, I'm thinking, I'm thinking from that perspective. You know, God, you know, what, what are you asking of, of uh, Hosea? You know, what do you, what do you recall? What are you calling him to? You know, when, you, when it says that the, this is the way the word of the Lord came to Hosea, the prophet. You know, don't you think that he had to be shocked? Don't, you know, as, as the King James Version says, go and, go and take a wife of whoredoms and have children of whoredoms with her. You know, it's so much stronger than go take a promiscuous wife. It was so much deeper than that. And here's the thing. I think while he wants us to understand that, we got to jump on the other side and realize what he's talking about is, as, uh, is us as a people and the, and the sins that we commit and to the depths that we fall as a nation, as a people, as a community. 
And we have to, we have to know that what God wants with us as a whole, as a nation, as a people, as a group, is he wants us to know that he loves us in spite of our sins. You know, as I was studying this this week, my, my study took me over to Romans chapter 1, where it describes there a, a group of people, a nation, the Romans, and surrounding peoples, and how far they had fallen. You know, it's not a popular thing to, to, to read today, but he says that he, he, he gave them over to their acts of disobedience. You know, those, those that traded the natural relations for, for a man or a woman and were doing things that were ungodly before in God's eyes. You know, I think about things like that, how, how, how far off we've gotten as a people and as a nation today. I read this past week that there is an ordinance going on or being voted on out in Washington State and Oregon that would prohibit a doctor, would prohibit a doctor from in the delivery room saying, it's a boy or it's a girl. That's what we have today. And folks, listen, we have gotten so far off because, listen, God, before a baby is born in their mother's womb or, or even uh, made in their mother's womb, he knows who that child is. And we have allowed this confusion to come upon our nation and upon our people. And it's just taken us so far away, as Romans says, that we, that we, that we worship uh, the creation rather than the creator. It says God gave them over. Is that where we are? You see, I think in some aspect, that's, that's where God's people was back then when, when Hosea came on the scene. And folks, what we need today is we need a revival. I think that Hosea uh, loved his wife as God asked him to and taught these people about how deep God's love, grace, and mercy, and forgiveness, and steadfastness, how deep it was, how it was not dependent on, on what they did in order for God to love them, but that for them not to continue in their sin, but to turn back to Him. You, you, you think that can happen? It's tough, isn't it? You know, I think we had an illustration this past week that shows us that this can happen. Take, take a look at this picture. That young man fell, fell to the ground in that stadium. By the way, Eric Cagle, one of our elders, he was actually at this game in Cincinnati. He was telling me about what the experience was there in the stadium. But you know what? It's amazing to me that that stadium was was full of... I mean, let me ask you a couple questions. How much alcohol do you think was consumed there that night? I wonder what would have happened if they would have set up a, a uh, sobriety test outside that stadium as people went to their cars. You know, I wonder how much uh, debauchery and, and sin... You know, I wonder if there's anybody there that was promiscuous that night before or after 
I read a I read a thing the other day about some lady. She, her, and her boyfriend were uh, were uh, they were bragging that they had actually had sex in a stadium. They're up the top, you know, and they 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 yeah, it's incredible, folks. But in the middle of all that, this young man gets hurt. Gets hurt very badly. Now, miraculously, I don't know if you followed this story. Miraculously, he's He's, he's off the ventilator now. He's, he's talking. One of, his, one of his teammates said that he was on a Zoom call with him. And was, he said it was so amazing because when he said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be back, and he went like this to show them that he was going to be strong again. But when it happened, when life was in the balance, what did everybody do? Prayed. Stopped the game. Game's not even going to be played. One of the anchors on ESPN, unbeknownst to the, to, the, to the people upstairs and everything, literally literally prayed for this young man on a live sports center. And nobody said, don't you pray? Don't you call on the name of the Lord? Don't you? No, nah, that's, not, that's not for in here. I mean, listen, folks, everybody in our nation has come before God at this time. You see, the difference is, is that we've all come before God and brought this young man before him, which is totally beautiful. But it makes me think, can we, can, could we come before God as a nation and ask him for his forgiveness? You see, it's easy, and, and it's easy to say, oh, this is all great when we're coming to God and asking him for things. But could we ever come before God as a nation, as a people, as a family, as a church, and say, you know, God, we've gotten so far off base. God, forgive us. Forgive us based on your chesed, your mercy, your grace, your love, your forgiveness. Folks, it can happen, and it needs to happen, and it must happen. Because you know what? Just like this moment in time that I think had something to do with a beautiful outcome in this, in this story. This young, man, this young man did not breathe for, for six or seven minutes. But yet they said that he has all of his cognitive uh, ability. And I, I don't know the extent of his recovery, what it's going to be, but they've used the word miraculous to describe what has happened in his life. How would you describe your life, your family, our church, our country, our world, if people just didn't fall down and ask God for something, but ask God for a great understanding of how deep his love and grace and mercy is for all of us. You see, while I don't think, I don't think Gomer ever got to that point of understanding what Hosea was saying here, I think he did. And I think we can. Because you know what? Through his, through his marital tragedy, he came to understand the steadfast, faithful, unconditional love of God. The prodigal son 
through all of his sin, understood his father's faithfulness and love. And folks, if we understand that, wow, then we understand the message of Hosea. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for this uh, beautiful morning. Lord, it seems so unbelievable that you would ask of the prophet to marry a promiscuous woman and to have children with her, even though, Lord, you knew that her faithfulness would be short-lived. But, God, you did it so that we would understand not how awful sin is and even the sins of the world are, but, Lord, how great and how deep and how mighty your love for us is. But, God, I think that the Apostle Paul describes our time well as he did his time when he says that they got to a point where God gave them over to the sins of their heart. So, Father, may we repent of those sins and come back to your great love knowing that you don't love us if or because or anything else, Lord, but that you just love us. And that, Lord, you can cover our sin with that great love. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together, please, and let's sing.